Welcome to episode two of Downton Gabby, the off season, where we just couldn't resist keeping up the podcast while we await the final season of Downton Abbey. So each month we are discussing something Downton related, a movie, a TV show that involves one of the Downton players, as well as what else we're watching and reading and doing in the off season. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So we were going to kick off with a little Downton news if there was anything going on in the world. Uh, I don't think there is any. <laughs> <laughs> we're really in the off season there's now. A, there's a new random video on PBS.org where the actors are talking about how the show might end, which seemed like it would be cute, but I feel like they're like, cobbled together random old interview footage. Yeah, that could have been recorded like four years ago and it would have... Yeah, there was no insight whatsoever. Like, the actress who plays Mrs. Hughes is not even mentioning the fact that she's going to get married. It's like, this is old, guys. You can't trick me. (laughs) I don't know, but you... I'm like in pre-morning for Mad Men ending and I'm I'm having a really emotional time with it and I just can't imagine how it's going to be for Downton Abbey. Too. I mean, it's just losing these shows within a year of each other is gonna be. It's gonna be a tough year. You know, there's always something great on the horizon. I know, but I still like get think back to watching the last episodes of shows, and I got I've got a real emotional about a lot of stuff, and I still think about it like like 14 year old Brandy sobbing through the last episode of uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Or my so-called life. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The last episode of Battlestar Galactica. Okay. The last episode of Friday Night Lights. I was sobbing through the last episode of Parks and Rec just not that long ago. Yeah. So, Well, I'm so thankful that Therese is actually going to be here with me. Yay! um, For some emotional support. (laughs) So we're sobbing with our red lipstick running down our face. Tears falling into our glasses of whiskey as we say goodbye to Peggy and Sally and everyone. Oh. I'm, I'm really glad for the emotional support. And I'm excited we're all going to be in the same time zone for the finale. That is true. Which, which means you guys don't get an East Coast uh, tweet uh, fest. No, so, I'll be on East Coast media blackout like all that day. I don't even trust the critics who probably get like a screener or something. Like, no. Ah, you're right. Social media blackout until the show is over on the West Coast. So for our for our Downton-related media that we explored this month, we decided to revisit the movie that won Julian Fellows' Oscar, Gosford Park, and that was kind of the inspiration for Downton Abbey, supposedly. Like, supposedly Downton Abbey was conceived as kind of a spin-off of Gosford Park, and then they scrapped that and said it a couple decades earlier, probably so Julian could talk more about the change that was coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I hadn't seen this movie in, like, eight years, so it was interesting to watch it again now in the post-Downton era. I saw it a couple of years ago, and um, I... I mean, I, I saw it for the first time many years ago, and then I watched it again a couple of years ago, and I um, fell in love with the music, actually, and we, mm-hmm. we, we Ivor Novello is a real person, and um, we bought uh, all his music <laughs> so we could listen to it. That's awesome. <laughs> so we're such nerds. I did nerds. not know that. We are such That's nerds. Cool. Yeah. The Land of Might Have Been, which plays over the final credits, we have the sheet music for that, and I learned to sing it. That's how nerdy I am. 
but anyway, watching it again uh, this past week, I was once again struck by how very, very dark and nasty it is. And that's all thanks to Robert Altman, of course. Yeah. And it really made me wonder what Julian Fellow's script looked like before they started shooting it and whether Julian is capable of such uh, dark and deliciously nasty characters or, <laughs> or whether his, um, you know, general keep your chin up and let's all be noble um, just got completely, uh, you know, fucked up, basically. It is interesting because I was thinking about the Maggie Smith character in Gosford Park versus the dowager and it is like obviously the dowager she's she's got her attitude but it's always when the person's out of the room you know whereas in gosford park um the countess i believe she's a countess i don't know is you know she's making snide remarks about people having married up while they're like purposefully within earshot and i was just thinking hmm uh i i wonder if that was purposeful to take like the seed of that kind of attitude that Maggie Smith is so good at, but then like it is definitely more loving and lovable in the Downton version. Yeah, because she because she has moments of real tenderness and, and circling the wagons around her family when they're in trouble and things like that. And um and this and in Gosford Park her character is just you know, just kinda deliciously nasty all the time. But, but again, I think that's the tone of the whole film. I mean, it is a Robert Altman film, so you're not going to get a lot of warm, fuzzy characters. There's, there's not going to be... I mean, the closest thing you get is the young maid, the young lady's maid, who, through whose eyes we basically see the, the film, more or less. Right, right. And I, do I love, love that Kelly actress. McDonald's. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Yeah, she's great. I love how all the characters are like, that guy's not from Scotland. <laughs> I'm also like, what is Ryan Felipe doing in this movie? <laughs> like, everyone is an established British, you know, or from that area actor. And then it's like, uh, Ryan Felipe? How'd you want it? It'd be like Zac Efron in like an episode of Downton Abbey. It was like, what's happening here? I really had like a lot of feelings about his career while I was watching this and trying to like think about him. Like, what if he was like, in bed late at night, flipping through channels, comes across Gosford Park on like HBO Signature or something, <laughs> like wonders what could have been, thinks about his ex-wife and all of the awards she's winning. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, and then he's on some NBC show that nobody cares about, which, I mean, good for him for still working, but it's, it's always interesting to look back at a movie like this and see like who's lived up to the prestige and who hasn't quite hit it. Well, it was weird seeing Helen Mirren and probably one of the most attractive, unattractive characters. Like, she's so hot. She looks so amazing all the time, and she looks so dowdy and terrible this, in this movie's movie. from, like, 14 years ago, and she looks 14 years older than she actually is now. Exactly. It? like, what did you do to her? I don't know. It's really weird to me. But I do think that Julian Fellow's muse is Maggie Smith. I mean, maybe he has some mommy issues or something because she is in everything. I mean, is she going to move over to his new series, The Gilded Age? Ooh, she's probably ready to retire. Maggie Smith can't even be bothered to show up at the Emmys. She's not going to work in anything that's filming in America. That's true. But it's weird. All I mean, we've now watched two movies of his. What do they have in common? 
Maggie Smith. Yeah, well, I mean, he's giving her some really interesting stuff to do, even when the material, like the movie that we talked about last month, is not necessarily, like, you know, dame-worthy. There's still, like, there's a limited amount of roles for an actress of a certain age, and I don't know, I think it's cool that he's, like, purposefully putting her front and center in his projects while he still has the power to do so. And his best writing has been for the Dowager in Downton Abbey. Definitely. Did you guys catch the um, reference to the Earl of Flincher in the no. movie? Isn't that um, Shrimpy? Le- yeah, I, I heard a couple names that sounded familiar to me, and I was wondering if there are some cross-references that maybe there's some super fans out there who can verify for us. Yeah, um, I think I think that name got reappropriated for Shrimpy because it's such a great uh, British nobility name. They must have. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, it is yeah. perfect. Yeah, just comparing the same kinds of scenes that you would have in Downton Abbey to the version in Gosford Park, like the... Think about the first hunting scene we saw in Down Abbey with like everyone in their regal outfits and the music and the swelling and this and that. And then in, in this one, it's like a bunch of dumpy white dudes in tweed, like clumsily wielding their guns totally. and accidentally shooting one another. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I wonder how much of Downton Abbey's sumptuousness is Julian looking at the script he wrote having been filmed through sort of a, like, awkward comedic lens, dark, dark comedic lens by Robert Altman, and being like, I'm going to need a redo on that particular scene where it has all the dignity I wanted it to have. That's a really good point. Yeah, I felt like, you know, obviously they filmed this in a beautiful home, but I felt like the costumes and just the grandeur of Downton Abbey was really missing. Yeah, well, it's probably more period-appropriate dark like, actually dim in the screens. <laughs> Versus, like, I don't know, in Down Abbey, you can tell that they've got some, like, boom lighting going on in certain scenes oh, yeah. that would not have existed. You know, I was reading a review of Wolf Hall, the, the excellent PBS series that I'm loving, and they say, it's all done with natural light. This ain't your Downton Abbey. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I only watched the first episode, and I couldn't get into it. Does it get better? Well, you know what? Not everybody could get through the books either. I really adored the two books that have already been published, but it's kind of hard to get into it. I feel like once you get into it and get into the rhythm of the storytelling, it's amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, I mean, Wolf Hall is this incredibly long book, and I just did not want it to end. And I I feel like the PBS show really is true to that spirit. Mm. But, But... yeah, you know, it's not for everybody, and it, it is definitely hard to, can be hard to get into the, the just the rhythm of it. I love that period of history, um, but I think I need to give it another episode. Before we fully move on to talking about TV, I just want to say one more appreciative thing about Gosford Park, which I think relates to um, why we like Downton Abbey, is the sort of like sly feminism of the plot. Which people remember it as a as a murder mystery, but the murder doesn't even happen until the movie's well over half over, and uh, you've gotten a lot of time to get to know these characters, to get to know their plights, and there's been a lot of focus on the female characters, and then you know the murder sort of turns out to have been because this guy was terrible towards women, mm-hmm. like that's why he got killed, and you 
think at first that maybe it's just because, you know, some dude is mad at him for a financial matter. And then it turns out to be this really sort of deep, interesting, traumatic reason that it happened. And I think, like, you know, as, as frustrated as we get with Julian sometimes for holding some of his female characters back, there are things he really is interested in critiquing about the historical way that men have gotten away with things. And this is great evidence of that. Yeah. It's a really good point for you. Yeah, me. excellent point. And also, praise for Kristen Scott Thomas. Where did she go? I, I love her. She's still right? making movies. Isn't she still making movies? She Hardly does. any. Mm. She does, but she also makes movies in France. Yeah, she makes mm. So she makes a lot of interesting French things. Ugh. Ever since the days of Four Weddings at a Funeral, <laughs> I've just loved her. Yeah, I mean, this is, there's a lot of really, really great women in this script, and or, or in this movie, and there's also young Clive Owen. So. Yeah, well, that caught my eye right away. I mean, he's basically even hotter now, but, like, still, you walk in on the, the scene where he's, like, just lounging in bed, smoking a cigarette, and reading a book, and I'm like, hello. <laughs> Did you guys recognize Sprat? Oh, oh, yes. No. He's having a lot more fun here oh, than he was. Much, much fun. As the butler in love with Ivor Novello, who's like desperately wanting to valet for him. And uh, the tan man, of course. Mm-hmm. Richard E. Grant. Uh, as the sort of evil butler, I guess. I don't know. Uh, that's an interesting thing about this movie is that you feel like there are other storylines going on that we're never fully privy to. Mm. below stairs particularly okay so so let's circle back what what are we watching to get us through the downton day dark days we are approaching the end of the normal tv season in the u.s so a lot of stuff is ending right now well we're still watching Mm -hmm. game of thrones because you know we're alive (laughs) alive in the world we have minds so we're watching game of thrones how are you guys liking this season the tone's really different this season. I have to say kudos to the producers for rewriting his books to make them not so fucking all over the place. And um, <laughs> I mean, they've really, really streamlined the plot. They've uh, cut out an entire family, which I'm so grateful for, the Greyjoys. <laughs> and, um, you know, and they've, they've done a lot of other things to just compress the action and make it less sprawling because it's it in the the books are completely the fuck out of control completely and uh the 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 tv show feels really like it's still got a good narrative sort of path yeah i mean now the you know when the episode starts and it's like last time on i mean they're jumping back to season one i mean they're really long because there's so many characters in so many different places but when you watch the episode it feels really tight it feels like we're all in one world it yeah. doesn't feel so sprawling. So I'm really happy I haven't read the books. But I, mean, I think between watching the show and then I read that Ask the Meister on uh, Grantland every week, which he fills you in on all the different things that people mention that if you read the books, you'd know. But he tells us that don't want to read the books. <laughs> and between that, I feel like I have all the information yeah. I need. <laughs> yeah, I like reading those things post as well. Like, if you'd read the books, you would know this. And I do, I always think it's a good sign when one of the previews goes like way back to season one or season two, because like, that means that there is a continuity to the story that is about to be paid off in this episode. Yeah, Rhaegar 
it's all about Rhaegar <laughs> yeah. and Elia and Lyanna and who the hell is Jon Snow's parents. And I love it. I feel like it's like in the, the second to last chapter of the end of Harry Potter when we finally find out about Snape. I mean, I feel like that's going to be like Jon Snow's parents. <laughs> well, we know who Jon Snow's father is. but Do we? Right. Yes. I mean... I don't think Ned Stark's his dad. Really? Nope. Okay. I, I feel like I feel like there's a good chance that he did a noble thing and lied about it for some yeah. reason. I think he's Rhaegar and Lyanna's child. And yeah. Ned took took him and said he was his own. Yeah, but his coloring is all wrong. Oh please. <laughs> because he's not he doesn't look like Danny. Like that's all the, the Targaryens Targaryen. are all have white blonde hair. They're all There's intermarried. Jeans. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> They put a spell on him. I don't know. You go with that. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I don't have to be right. I don't it's think, just I just don't think he's Ned Stark's kid. Fun speculation. I don't think so either because they made too much of a big deal about how Ned Stark would never have done that. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so out of character for him. But um, I, another thing I love about this season of Game of Thrones, which I, I do think they could speed up the action a little bit. Like, the last episode, as much as I like scenes of people just chatting because I love all most of the characters like it didn't there wasn't really any action until the end yeah but I agree you could not have told me that I would be happy to see Jorah show up again and this is like I love it because I like it when characters you didn't expect to end up together cross paths Mm -hmm. and so we're getting that with them we're getting some really interesting stuff with Sansa back at Winterfell yeah let's talk about that I don't know. I feel worried for her, but I also feel like I feel really confident in her ability to navigate this really fucked up, dangerous situation. Like, I feel like Sansa's really grown up. She has, and she she experienced, like, the biggest, most horrifying person in the world um, back at King's Landing. Yeah. So sitting next to Ramsay Bolton, who <laughs> is kind of a, you know, jerk and a sadist, it's, it's still nothing like Joffrey, and she's just, like, sitting there like, yeah, whatever. I know, she's, like, rolling her eyes at him, like, you think that's, like, gonna impress me? Like, no. You're gonna have to try a little harder, Ramsay. <laughs> but I feel like she's learned a lot from Cersei. I mean, I feel yeah. like she's really got the skills to navigate this, and I don't know if she still has the fire to lead the North, and I hope she really finds that, because all of us are waiting for a Stark to come back. And yeah. bring the North back together. I think I think Sansa's storyline has been very clearly structured by the writers of the show as a series of lessons. And that's yes. why, I mean, that's why I'm confident that they're not just going to have, you know, something terrible happen to her and then she dies at Winterfell. Because I think that would be such a waste of the, what they themselves have said was important. And, I mean, I could, that could be wishful thinking, but <laughs> that's just how I feel at the moment. Oh, so my my dream, speaking of, like, the fire that she's missing, is that she will find out from Theon Flash Reek that her brothers are still alive, Mm -hmm. and this will be the thing that will impassion her to just be like, my family is still out there, and I have to fight for our home. Right. Because where is Rickon? I don't know, but I think, like, if she had that in her mind, like, if I could save Winterfell, they would come back to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that would be so awesome. So I just have to tell you that Sansa returning to Winterfell and being betrothed to Ramsay is not in the books. This is a complete departure from the storyline, and a good one as far as I'm concerned. 
So I think it's great that she's there, but I'm watching this storyline with as much curiosity as you are because mm. it is not the way the books go. And so yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, in the books it's like they there's like an Arya doppelganger that mm-hmm. Littlefinger tries to pass off or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just yeah, like, just all over the place. Yeah, thank, thank you for not doing that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's, let's utilize the really awesome characters we have instead of like adding in some rando stuff. And I love that Brienne is there like lurking on the sidelines. Yeah, she's like so much harder this season. Like she's just kind of like over the bullshit. She's like, I got my fucking sword that I can cut through the middle of people, and I'm going to fucking do this oath, and no one's going to stop me, and I love it. I don't know. I think she needs a hobby. Well, okay. (laughs) She does, but I just love what a badass she is, and I love that actress. She's totally badass, but, I mean, what is her purpose? Like, can can she take a hint? Like, nobody wants what she's selling. (laughs) I, I hope that that is going to have a payoff as well. Like, I have a lot of hopes for this Sansa storyline, and because none of you book readers can, like, make an arch comment about it, I have, my hopes are intact. So, <laughs> I really hope that, like, something will happen, and Sansa will need Brienne, and it will all, like, come out well, and Brienne will soften up a little bit because, like, I think she's really, I think she really misses Jamie and, like, having a friend and Podrick is not really filling the void. Well, we had a big discussion over here about when Jamie's on the boat with Bronn and, he, you know, Bronn's like, well, how do you want to die? And Jamie's like, I want to die in the arms of my love. And he's looking longingly at Tarth. So we were like, is he talking about Cersei? Yeah. Or is he talking about Brienne? No, I, I got a little Brienne kind of vibe from him. I immediately thought Cersei, but then my friend was saying, I'm thinking Brienne. And I was like, well, that adds up. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, and it could be either because right now, like, obviously he's on a mission to win Cersei back, but I don't get the vibe from him that he thinks it's 100% going to work. So he might be torn. Guys, the sand snakes need to get cooler because that introduction was <laughs> lame. I was so excited that Dr. Julian Bashir, Alexander Siddig, was going to be joining this season as over in Martel's older brother. Yeah. And he said exactly one scene in which he just sits there and pouts. I am like, you are wasting an amazing and incredibly sexy actor. <laughs> I think we're going to get more Dorn. Ugh, we better because like... It's it just like my heart soared when I found out he was joining the show, and he's done nothing. We should get more of him, but see, I never pictured him as a hot character when I was reading him. Well, following Arya over to Bravos, you know, now Mace Tyrell is being escorted to Bravos with the knight who is on her kill list, who's the one that killed her swords, yeah. swordsman teacher. So... I don't know if she's going to be able to let go of herself and let go of her kill list when her sword is hiding there. No. I think she's going to want to kill him. I'm so glad she didn't actually throw her sword into the sea. And also yeah. when Jack and Hagar showed up again, you guys, like, my vagina was about to cry of happiness because I find him so weirdly hot. <laughs> he is so hot. <laughs> He's so hot. And um... Even in the robe, like, even with the bad wig, like, I was like, oh, this guy. 
Yeah, which is also a big improvement from the books because they don't the the person who plays his character does not look like him in the books. So it was nice <laughs> that they brought that actor back and we had a little continuity because it makes more sense, frankly. Well, guys, this is HBO, so they're going to at least try and make your vagina cry with a couple of the actors, you know? (laughs) I mean, is it weird? Like, he's not, like, super conventionally hot, but there's this... uh, It's, like, the voice that he does, like... Mm -hmm. I mean... I'm not the kind of person to find speaking in the third person to be hot, (laughs) and not every time he opens his mouth, I'm just like, yes, say more about this man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. Guys, I don't know if I like Daenerys marrying this guy, though. Oh, yeah. Why does she have to marry someone? You know... I guess I'm just a bit of a Queen Elizabeth. You know, hold your power for yourself. Right. This has a lot more um, exposition in the book about why she has to do it and the whole process of convincing her to do it and all of that. But it's still stupid, as far as I'm concerned. I was surprised they were going with that storyline, actually. Well, because she doesn't want to rule Marine forever. She eventually wants to go to the Iron Throne, so I think that's going to fuck it up if she's married to the wrong family. Yeah, I didn't like, understand why. It didn't, it didn't, I mean, it doesn't make sense in the book, frankly, and it doesn't make sense in the show, so I was surprised that they were doing it. I don't know. That storyline is getting really stagnated, and I don't like her dragons chained up. Yeah, it is getting odd. I find it interesting. I'm not willing to say whether I'm like pro or con, but interesting that she's decided to wield this particular weapon of her hand in marriage to try to stop an uprising. But it is out of stubbornness, right? Like, she could give up and be like, okay, this city's beyond repair. Let's move on. I have a fucking continent to conquer. Yeah. Um, And I really really do not want to see a scene wherein Dario is like, you're marrying somebody? I thought we had a thing, which I fear is coming. So I I do worry that the storyline is not going to end in any sort of satisfying way, and it's going to be kind of like a wash for Danny this season. I mean, it kind of was a wash for her last season. I mean, ever since she got to Marine, it's been kind of boring. She needs to get out of the slave cities, and the only thing that could save this at this point, I feel like, would be... Tyrion and Varys showing up and yeah, getting the party started. <laughs> or her riding a dragon. Yeah, well, let's get all three of them on a dragon together. Let's go for gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's three dragons and there's three awesome characters I like. Okay? Get them on the dragon. Well, one of the dragons is flying over uh, Valeria. Oh, that was such a great scene. That was like, a great the scene. Look, the look on Tyrion's face was really cool. That's also something somewhat invented for the show, which looked amazing. So again, thank you, producers. That whole sequence was really fun, and not that I really care that Jorah's got dragon scale or whatever. Uh, it's it's good because it puts a time limit on this particular storyline, so they have to like get moving. <laughs> right. But, uh, I mean, I'm not going to weep for him, I don't think. Who knows? Maybe I will. <laughs> I weeped watching the Supergirl trailer yesterday, so I'll weep at anything. You weeped at the Supergirl trailer? <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I watched it, but I didn't weep. Uh, I think Allie McBeal kind of threw me off. I really like Supergirl, and she saves her sister, and it looks really good. <laughs> that part looks good. That's true. It's okay. Brandy, I once, in public, at a movie theater, laughed out loud to that horrible movie trailer last vegas with all the old guys <laughs> it was so embarrassing i laughed like a few times i was like who am i <laughs> okay so to summarize 
halfway through Game of Thrones, we're mostly on board and looking forward to the rest of the season. Uh, should we talk about Jane the Virgin, which just ended? Okay, so I guess I'm on the I'm the only Team Jane person here. Well, what's going on, guys? Well, I I mean I really I loved the show when it first started. I I just feel like it's kind of run out of steam. Maybe I'm not sure. Also, I'm a little frustrated by Jane's whole coy. Does she or doesn't she? Will she or won't she? Sex life. Mm. I, I I'm mm-hmm. tired. I mean, obviously, I'm looking at it through that lens, and I'm just I'm tired of the coyness of the show, where it's called Jane the Virgin, but they don't ever really talk in any specific way about her sexuality. Right, and it it's very there's a line. It's like will she or won't she? But they've only addressed it maybe like three times through the whole series, and the last time they did with the pool scene. With And I was like, yeah, just, you know, just do it. You're right. Like, you're, like, seven months pregnant. You're thinking you're going to marry this guy who's the father. Like, what are you waiting for? And then his whole, like, self-flagellation. I I was totally going to have sex with her when she's not ready. Uh, Even though she had said very clearly, I am ready. ready. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was not good. <laughs> some of that descends into some of the, like, kind of bad stereotyping about, yeah. you know, about sex. And there's only one thing that you do to have sex or not have sex. You know, that's the other right. thing. And she's writing all this erotic romance fiction. Like, uh-huh. tell me there's no vibrator in her night table. Come on. No, yeah, come I th- on. I thought that was really weird, too, that she's kind of... I don't know, not interested in sex, but it doesn't seem to be, like, really on her mind. But then she's writing this, like, super romantic fiction. So I was like, yeah, she needs a vibrator or something. Because aren't you super horny when you first get pregnant, too? I don't know. Are you, Shannon? I mean, I, <laughs> I think that is a, I'm drinking whiskey right now, legend. so I'm not yeah. pregnant. Um, but um, that's what my pregnant friends have told me. I don't know, but both the actors who play Michael and Raphael both have total cunnilingus lips, so there's no way that that's not happening. Right? That's right? Not good point. <laughs> right? Really good point. Uh, and, and you're also on Team Michael, right, Brandy? I am on Team Michael. I am not that impressed by Raphael. I'm on Team Neither. I, you know what? I could be on team neither, but I'm definitely not on team Raphael, and I don't really understand why that's the majority stance. Like, yes, he's super hot. Dude has no sense of humor, and he has, like, super drama man-boy reactions to everything. Like, just because he's a reformed bad boy who's hot and rich doesn't mean that, like, nothing else about his personality is appealing. I, uh, I feel like, you know, I kind of stopped watching around episode 14, and then I just read the recaps, and I really loved it in the beginning. I was like, this is so innovative, it's so charming, blah, blah, blah. I think I have two prejudices. One, shows that go over 13 episodes to um, soap <laughs> operas, because they repeat the oh. same situations over and over again, and I get really bored with that. I have a very, very high soap tolerance. I know. I, this is... I grew up in a soap opera house. So <laughs> I grew up watching Days of Our Lives too. So I did grow up with that. But no, Brandy, this is probably the biggest thing that divides us is like <laughs> my tolerance for soapy melodrama and your desperate need for there to be something else going on. <laughs> I will say that that the one thing that just keeps getting better and better is the narrator. I mean, he just every episode he's funnier and funnier the way he inserts They're himself so into the story. I know it's just, it's great and it's so innovative. It, they yeah they keep coming up with new ways between the narr- the narrator obviously works together with the text on the screen 
they keep coming up with new ways to make jokes and meta commentary in that way where I'm just like, wow, I really thought this was going to be kind of like a one note thing that might get old. And I don't know, just kudos to them for being like really thoughtful and funny with it. Yeah. yeah, there's so many ways that this show is brilliant and cutting edge and unlike anything we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the diversity. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, thank you. And Rogelio. I know. Which Rogelio. is his own category. I mean, how that character is written and he acts it, that he's genuine and ridiculous. I mean, he's a lovable buffoon. Yeah. He's so great. And his power color of the lavender i just can't get enough of <laughs> and he also has massive massive fan base that's that's also the thing like it's not even in his head like he's massively popular right so so they're they're doing a very interesting thing there definitely but i think i get a little sick of the saintliness of jane um i don't I, know i see how the show is framing her that way sometimes but I think, like, I think they've also been fair to point out some of her flaws. Like, she is wishy-washy about her relationships. She mm-hmm. is she is too hard on her mom. You yeah. Know? So, her mom is so great. I love, I love that character, and I love that actress. I don't think they're framing Jane as Little Miss Perfect. I think they're fair to her. But she has to remain, like, the core heroine. She has to be able to go totally. up against, like the evilness of other people's plots. Although they are really doing a good job humanizing Petra in the last few episodes, too. So I don't know how things are going to go. Also, the last scene of the last show just pissed me off. I didn't didn't like it. No, I didn't either. I thought it was terrible. I think that was, like, a really harsh way to go. And Is that the stealing the baby? Stealing the baby. I just, I had, like, a vision of how Jane's reaction would be, and I was like, that's too harsh for this show mm-hmm. like you know a, yeah. a newborn being kidnapped from its mom like she's gonna be too devastated for the tone of this show and a friend of mine who's pregnant like tweeted like i couldn't watch that <laughs> like that was too much wow totally agreed to- a completely wrong tone to end this yeah. the, the season and and completely wrong tone for the show they could have brought back Rose's scene Rostro and had her just be like watching them from the shadows and I would have been satisfied like right. Ooh, she has designs on the baby. That much I could have handled. The actual like physical kidnapping. What? It just oh. Why does she want the baby? I didn't even I couldn't even I figure don't, out why. To get revenge on Raphael for for what some ruining her crime ring or something I don't even know I don't know that's basically why I stopped watching because we can't finish that sentence her grandmother is gonna have a heart attack yeah Abuela's gonna like die when she finds out about this yeah I know good too much too much can you even picture um Shomara and Rogelio even like those characters being able to react to this news they're not framed that way no it doesn't make sense to me no no it doesn't well, make sense that's at what's all. so interesting is that Jane Ziomara and Abuela they are so real they're not over the top they're actually really really genuine and the over the top stuff is more all the characters at the Barabella and even the police and all of that but it's like those three women are very genuine and realistic yeah, and a, a realistic reaction to a newborn baby being kidnapped is not going to fit into the world of this show. Yeah. 
That sounds like a really sad episode. I don't and know. Who wants to start a season that way? I just, I, I, I hope the writers have a really solid plan because I wasn't, I wasn't happy with it. And I was happy with 21 other episodes of the show this season. I really, really loved it. And I wasn't happy with the finale. So. What are you guys thinking of Call the Midwife? Speaking of babies. Babies. Where did they find all those little babies? Is it the same baby every time? I'm sort of obsessed about the casting of all the, you know, quote unquote newborns oh, on that show. If you're the call of the midwife baby wrangler and you're listening to this show, you have a hard job. Let us I'm know. Sorry. Let us know. And and like what is that that they smear all over the babies so it looks like, you know Right. They just came Whoa. out. It's fascinating to me. I mean, how many minutes is a, a baby that young allowed to even work? Also, if you have a newborn baby, why are you wanting it to be in TV? Why are you taking it to an agent? That's the real question always for me, I think. Well, I continue to love this season. I think it's gone in so many interesting directions. And it's made me really realize how Jenny-focused the last few seasons were. That it really robbed the other actors of doing some great emotional work. Sister Evangeline's breakdown in the last episode. Oh. I was... Brought to tears because yeah. they've just brought each of the characters to a really realistic and beautiful breaking point for each of them in different ways. Yeah. And it is such amazing acting and such really beautiful storytelling that it was like, why do we waste all those years with Jenny? I do agree with that, but I am frustrated by a couple of storylines. Like, I felt like they were doing that with Trixie towards the beginning of the season with the revelation of how her upbringing was. Oh, I loved and, all that, yeah. You know, her her dealing with um, how she would become a person in a happy marriage, doing a normal life. And then they destroyed that, and all of a sudden they made her an alcoholic. And I'm just kind of like, I'm not on board with the storyline. Like, if that's an alcoholic that's irredeemable, like, I don't know what I am. <laughs> like, right. Who hasn't read a magazine and poured themselves a drink? It's yeah, fine. and like, yes, she did get drunk while she was on call, but it was when her fiancé broke up with her. <laughs> like, it wasn't just a Monday. Like, yeah, give the girl a pass. Give her a pass, right? I guess if you live with nuns, like, any drinking makes you an alcoholic. Yeah, but nobody has scolded her. Yeah, I think that they were doing really interesting stuff with Trixie, and now this drinking thing feels clumsy and contrived and I hope they just get over it and go back to more of the the friction between her upbringing and the life she wants to live you know it's kind of this glamorous wife and now she, you know she's a midwife in the east end so it's like she's it's full of dualities and paradoxes and I think that's more interesting than like oh no she drinks when she's in a room by herself I mean it's fucking boring they didn't have tv it's really boring what's she supposed to be doing yeah yeah uh, it's not a great storyline, and I feel like it hasn't really been earned because we haven't seen any issues that the drinking has caused beyond this one time that she was depressed about something else. So right. it doesn't it doesn't really make sense to me. But and then I also am worried about where Patsy's storyline is going to go. Well, especially after the gay episode, which is one of the most devastating episodes of TV ever. Oh, um, about the the gay father. Yeah, I was sobbing. Yeah. Absolutely sobbing. Yeah, so this can't end well, you know, and her uh, girlfriend is understandably getting very frustrated with their situation, and I, I, I really want to see 
Patsy have more support from other people? I feel like she could tell Trixie, but I don't know. Like, I'm just worried that this is going to go in only tragic ways. Similar to Thomas on Down Abbey, you know, like, the period shows seem incapable of dealing with queer characters without emphasizing the tragedy. Right. And I'm I'm not sure I'm prepared for that for this character because I just really want her to be happy. And it seems like it would maybe be easier as women because it's like they could be two girls that are roommates, you know? Oh, yeah. There have been many women throughout history who have been like, you know... Two spinsters living together. Yeah. Right. It's so much easier for women. I mean, I, I don't want to presume to say what it's really like, but I do feel like they could um, certainly get away with a lot more than two guys could. Right. I, yeah. I like that little thing about how she wanted to marry Patsy. It was, it was a beautiful very... scene. And yeah. I just kind of wanted to say to them, can't one of you get a position at like a country house and then you guys can get a cottage together and be roommates? Like... Something has to be doable where at least, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it'll be as good or as, or fair in any way, but something has to make life tolerable for you. There has to be a plan. Right. Yeah. I agree. I mean, the show isn't very good with love stories. You know, someone dies, they break up. I know. And the little Fred love story has been very clumsy this season too. Cute, but clumsy. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll I'll take it. it. I'll take it. Yeah, they're they're cute, but yeah, it's been kind of clumsy and weird. They went they went from not quite wanting to go to a dance together to getting married in two episodes. Yeah, because she's packing up the shop and moving to another city. She's gonna move away because he like acted weird one time. I thought he was really rude to not drink that special coffee. I mean, she's been waiting. That was rude. That special coffee. Rude. Don't be a dick. Yeah, really rude. Really, really. I was if I was if I was her, I would have been like, okay, I'll marry you, but only if you buy me some more fucking special coffee. Yeah, yeah. Because you ruined our date. Shockingly bad yeah. manners. I know. We have to remember that people got married just so they could bone down. You know, I mean, people <laughs> couldn't bone down unless they were married. So it was yes. like, let's get married. Yes, I've been listening to this podcast called "You Must Remember This." That's all like stories of classic Hollywood. And that's always like the star's explanation in the, at the, like when they're 80 writing their autobiography, like, why were you divorced six times? It's like, cause I couldn't live with the dude and bone him unless I married him. Yeah. We're so lucky now. Seriously. We're so lucky now. It's like, yeah, we don't have to get married at all to do that. So the most important TV related thing we need to talk about as we're recording this, we are three days out, 72 hours away from the Mad Men series finale. There's a lot of speculation on the internet about what's going to happen. I feel like these last batch of episodes have been not what I really expected them to be, even though I have been kind of mostly enjoying them. I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings. How do you guys feel? I just, I couldn't believe how shocking last episode was. I mean, I, the Betty cancer thing just came out of left field and slapped me across the face. I don't know what to say about the Betty Cancer thing. I I mean, why do we have to kill her? She was going to college. Let her go to college. Why does she have to um, die? I guess, like, I guess the thing is, like, today I wrote a very interesting piece, and I want to say it was on Vulture. I'm so sorry I'm blanking about the author of this because it was really good. About the way that um, they think that the finale is going to mirror the pilot and how... If you remember, the pilot is very, very focused on 
Lucky Strike cigarettes and how cigarettes are going to kill you. Yeah. And, like, among other things, they had a lot of parallels that they drew with, like, Peggy and Pete and uh, um, other storylines, Don's identity things, that where it feels like the finale is going to very intentionally draw upon the, the episode one. I do feel like there is a certain sense to this Betty storyline because of the prominence of cigarettes throughout the storyline because of the cancer scare she had a couple of seasons ago and because of the idea that somebody like Betty should die young and leave a beautiful corpse, as they say, you know? Like, she's like a Marilyn Monroe, she's like a James Dean. Mm. So, I'm not saying I'm... Her character had so much potential to do more in the world beyond this show, and I've always been on Team Betty. I think we all have. Mm -hmm. I've always loved her. But somehow it also seems fitting. I don't know. And to watch her very, like, maturely approach the situation was weirdly satisfying for me. I was, like, enraptured by all of her scenes. I was sitting up, leaning into the TV. Definitely. I think we don't really know what this storyline means because we don't know what Don's reaction is going to be. I mean, is Matthew Weiner's message that you can't escape being a parent and Don's going to have to stop rambling and be a parent? I don't know because I feel like we haven't gotten the second half of the story yet because I don't know what the fuck is going to happen in this finale. It could go anywhere. The only thing I will say is that if we don't get a scene of Don and Sally together dealing with this news then that's one of the biggest wastes in, like, fiction history. <laughs> right. You know, I read an interview with uh, uh, Matthew Weiner um, uh, maybe a couple months ago, I guess, and uh, he, I feel like he has no clue what is going on with his female characters. I just want to put that out there. Like, I really don't think he understands his female characters at all, and one of the things that he said was, everyone wants Don and Betty to get back together. And I was thinking... Nobody mm-hmm. wants Don and Betty to get back together. And this is kind of a way to guarantee Don and Betty will never get back together. So that right. won't like be hanging open. Will that ever happen? But right. I mean, I just I just find him a little clueless. And and maybe that's what it's about. I did love when Don and Betty boned down at camp last season. That was great. But that was because it was all about Betty kind of being able to be the one in power now. To mm-hmm. say, like, you can come into my room. And then you can leave my room. And then that's it. The next day I'm back with my real husband and my son, who I see every day, who you don't see. I just thought that was a real power moment for her. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought that was a very, very fitting goodbye to their relationship or any possibility thereof. So I don't understand wanting them to get back together at this point. Not after such a perfect moment. And I do have to give props to Matthew Weiner. He's always had a lot of female writers in his writing room. Yeah, inc- some incredibly talented women have worked on this show. And and they and this show has some of my favorite female characters and feminist moments, as quoted by Therese Schechter in the Flavor <laughs> Wire article, um, which I actually feel like you picked one of the best ones, which was Dr. Faith. She was the best, and she was such a great character, and... It's kind of how I feel about Hemingway and Updike. I know they do a lot of bad things with female characters, but at the heart of it, I really love their storytelling, and I guess that's how I feel about Matthew Weiner. In that same interview with him, he talked about how his entire writing team had to convince him to have Peggy quit Sterling Cooper. 
when she did. Ugh. He he it didn't occur to him that she was being treated incredibly shabbily and no one with an ounce of self-respect would have stayed there. It just didn't occur. Mm. He says this in the interview. And he says his his writing team ganged up on him and told him that they had to get Peggy into a new and better job. And that kind of cluelessness and tone deafness of these characters, again, I don't know. Sometimes I just really wonder. Well, I don't know who wrote that scene of her walking into the office with her octopus porn oh. and her cigarette and her okay. sunglasses. But there has been no other better moment for me of a female character. It's now the wallpaper of my phone. Yeah. And there has been no more empowering image to me ever in TV. So whoever came up with that, mad props. It's amazing. Um, this the article that you were talking about, Shannon, is on Flavor Wire, and it's um, like eleven feminist writers all talking about their feminist moments that made them cheer or cry. And it, the whole thing is worth a read because it it's great, and the level of detail that people write about is also really great. So I'm I was like like totally flattered to be in that company. Well, I think it's been really interesting the last um, few episodes of. Well, really in this whole new season that people are like, why aren't Joan and Peggy friends and blah, blah, blah. And it's like this idea that just because two women are in the same situation that they should be friends because we've got to stick together against the sexism. I love that the show hasn't gone there, that it's like yeah. you have a queen bee and a nerd. They would never have been friends. The world looks at them differently and they look at the world differently. And I really love the show that it's never done the cliched thing of like we're girls sticking together yeah and though speaking of the flavor wire piece like one of the other writers their moment was peggy joan and faye all in the elevator together after they all had a terrible day and yet none of them will look at each other because they all had a terrible day in very different ways and so I think that has been a, a through line theme that you can't just, you can't categorize sexism quite so easily. It's definitely affects different women in different ways. Definitely. And I do think that's the last we've seen of Joan. I don't think we're going to see her in the finale. <sighs> that hurts me. I don't want her last line to be asking about her money. But I mean, that's what's motivated her for the last few seasons. I know, but... The other great Joan moment in the last couple seasons was her, like, yelling in Bob's face about how she wanted love. And I guess we can think that maybe she found it with this guy, but I would like a little confirmation of that, quite frankly. Totally. Yeah. I I feel like they're just knocking off the female characters. You know, like, who's going to be left for the last episode? Is it going to be another sausage fest? I think it's going to be Peggy and Sally. Mm, I hope so. Yeah. Who do you guys think? The final shot is going to be which character? It's got to be Dawn. It'll if be Dawn. anybody but Dawn, it'll be Dawn. I've been saved for three years at Sally, so I'm putting my money on Sally. You know, maybe the two of them together, I would be shocked if the final scene doesn't have Dawn in it, the final frame. Yeah, I think it's going to be Dawn. But you know you know what I would have loved? Have we talked about this? What I would have loved is the final scene was actually when Dawn took his kids to see the house he grew up in. Remember that? Mm -hmm. season ender yeah where he and sally just look at each other it was great that Actually, would have been a nice ending i also, hated that scene <laughs> i'll say this for for matt weiner his um last shows of every season have been outstanding like whatever came before yeah. he sure knows how to end it i hope it's good and i will say like i wasn't i wasn't mad about the lack of certain characters in this penultimate episode 
probably because I've always thought that Pete was absolutely fascinating, and I really quite liked him getting his last adventure. And the idea of him ending as a hopeful character is, uh, I don't know, really compelling to me in a bizarre way because his growth has been deeply under the radar for the last few seasons. But the scene of him and his brother where he was just like, don't cheat on your wife. I was like, Pete finally gets it. (laughs) Holy shit. Like, everything that has happened to him has been pounding this idea into his head. And he's ignored it and ignored it and ignored it. And I don't know. I'm still not quite sure what happened to make him finally get it. I think he lost everything and was so lonely. Yeah. And then he ended up at McCann, the place he always thought he would be. And he was so good there. But he was still sad. And then poor Trudy. Like, if we're going to talk about interesting little bits throughout the season, like, her admitting that she doesn't have any friends just, like, kind of broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I've always loved yeah. Trudy. I love the idea of them starting over in Wichita together. I know it's a little fairy tale ish for this show, and they'll probably die in a Learjet. But like, <laughs> I, I really, I really liked it. I really went with it, even though it, it, it was a, a little hard to imagine her actually taking him back. I was like, I'm going with it. <laughs> they were, they were such a power couple, though. They were. They did fit together in a weird way. They did play off of each other. Like, they knew what the other one would say in certain situations. They were always the couple at the party who was saying the right thing. Doing the Charleston. Yeah, and and the reason they didn't fit in is because everyone else was so fucking awkward. They were the only ones doing the right thing. Right. Maybe in Wichita, everybody else will get it, and they'll be the biggest power couple in Wichita of all time. I think they will. Well, let's let's think good thoughts for them. I, they'll hate Wichita, but that's okay. I want to I want to <laughs> think that as long as they can rule over the land that they hate, I think they'll actually love it in a bizarre twisted as way. As long as you can get bagels there on the Learjet. On the Learjet, exactly. Well, guys, we're all these shows are ending. So, what is going to be your summer binge watch? I guess I better see the Good Wife for Teresa's kidding. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Okay, Therese, don't kill me, but I'm going to finally watch Empire. Ah, why would I kill you? Will someone on this podcast please watch The Good Wife and tweet I'm gonna to Therese? I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> uh, well, Therese, what are you going to watch during the off-season of everything good? Well, I, I haven't watched uh, the latest season of Orphan Black yet, so I'm really looking forward to that. And Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries Season 3 is starting up, so I'm very excited about that. Uh-huh. And um, I haven't really watched much of the second half of Outlander either. So I've got three yeah, I three either. great lady-centric uh, dramas that I can dig into. And um, I mean, the other thing that I'm kind of really loving right now is Amy Schumer. Um, and yes. I think I'm just going to oh, yeah. rewatch everything that's posted to <laughs> Comedy Central website like over and over again, like ten times. She's she's on another level this season. The Twelve Angry Men episode was like, uh, I was stunned while I was watching it, just because it was so funny and so insightful, and just like I don't like. Can you think of another bit of anything where it's all men on screen and it's like the most feminist thing you've ever seen like she twists things and the acting and the art direction is incredible i mean it's like a piece of art and it's a great piece of satire 
It's amazing. Yeah, and it's just nice to know, like, it's nice to see certain actors in a room and see them going along with something like this and be like, oh, thank God, that guy's on our team. Like... Right. <laughs> yeah. Verification. It's great to see John Hawks, who I think oh, is one of our best he's... character actors out John there. John Hawks is incredible. Absolutely incredible. You know, that coupled with the last fuckable day sketch are two really, like, pinnacles of feminist comedy. I don't know. I don't think Last Fuckable Day was in anywhere as good as Football Town Nights. <laughs> Football Town Nights, I could watch every morning and laugh crying. It was so brilliant. Yeah, true. That, too. I mean, there's just a lot of good good stuff this season. The the birth control commercial. Ask your boss to, to ask it. his priest if you should be on birth control. Yeah, the making fun of the whole, like, girl, you don't need makeup. Like, yep. Uh, I mean, there hasn't been, I think we're four or five episodes into the season so far, and there hasn't been a miss so in her yeah. sketch, so. Yeah. Amy, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Also, I haven't Definitely. watched Broad City. Um, I'm way behind on Broad City, so I have a lot of stuff to catch up on. I think I'll be fine. You'll make it through the summer. I'll make it through yeah. the summer. I have to, I just have to make it through an 18-hour train ride. 18 hours? Yeah, I'm taking the train from Oakland to Portland. Oh, that's the 18-hour yeah, train Yeah, I got a little room. Oh I'm so excited, I can't cool. tell you. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Down Gabby Off Season. As the TV season wraps up, we will be moving into summer movie season, which will be the theme of our next episode. A lot of really interesting stuff coming out. A lot of female comedies in the next month, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we'll all be able to see those and weigh in on them. So if there are any movies you're excited about, things you've seen and have opinions about, please tweet at us. We would love to hear it. We would love to hear your opinions on the shows that we're watching. We just love to hear from you all the time. And you can find us to make those comments on Twitter at DownGabby. On Facebook by searching Downton Gabby and on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. Oh,